So this is not your first ladies' room of the tour? No, it's not. It's my second time. What was the... Uh, you, you, were, you were beginning to tell me the, the last experience. Well, it was... Uh, I, we, I believe we were in St. Louis, and I was looking at something on the wall. It was like a, a photograph from a long time ago of, you know, this. I guess the people that own the restaurant, and... I just kind of got lost in thought, and the door was there. I knew it was by the bathroom, so I just went in there, and I'm thinking, okay. And there weren't any urinals in there, but I didn't think anything about sure. it because you know St. Louis. Yeah, well, there's just sometimes it's there's no urinals in there. But I'm in there about to do my business, and then this lady walks in, and she looks at me, and I look at her like, "What are you doing in here?" And she looks at me the same way, and then she opens the door up and points and. Says, I think you're in the wrong room. You were, you were sure that you were in the right there for a minute, just <laughs> that you had the right. Yeah, to be I there? just assumed. You know, I'm, I've never, I don't make it a point to walk in the ladies' sure. room. You know, but evidently, I was deep in thought by Jack Handy. So I'm, uh, I'm actually, I'm. Uh, no, that's good. That's good. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> you need a little acknowledgement on that one. I did it for myself. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm amazed. At how calm you are right now, just because, I mean, obviously, you've been doing this for 14 years with this configuration specifically. Yeah. So you've got it down to a science, but I would think there's, it's got to be a lot of running around happening. Man, we're a fine-tuned machine. We have, we definitely have it down. Um, I was telling John, we rolled in here around 10 o'clock, and I was able to get in, take a shower, which was much needed, and then... um, Kind of started my day. Went walked around with a friend and did sound check, mm. no problem. And now I'm here with you. It's just it's running smoothly. It's a pretty 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 good as far as the, the life of a touring rock musician. Yeah. Well, fortunately, this place has a shower. Most places don't, and that's unfortunate for us when that happens because you've got so many bodies and getting off that petri dish of a bus we've got. It's a it's a real uh, treasure when you find one. Is by by nature of there being so many people, is it? I mean, th- does that end up taking some of the load off of you? I mean, I noticed you know you were you were still sort of stopping by the the merch table out there and doing doing some stuff over there, so you're still micromanaging a little bit. Right? Yeah, that's my bread and butter. I always have to make sure everything's good. But a couple of the angels handle that part, so they do a fine job. But I just noticed a couple things. Yeah, yeah. What what's so you know. I guess 21 in the group proper, but how many people, how big is the actual operation all told? Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, with all, with everybody that runs this band, it's probably around 24. Okay. Yeah. So it's, uh, you've got like a Swiss family Robinson, like everybody's pitching in a little bit. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Even family members. Definitely. How, I've always, I've always wondered this about you guys. Um, you know, and obviously, like your last, you know, in, in Trip and Daisy, it was it was a pretty traditional band setup. Uh, you, here, you're, I mean, you're very clearly the the, the lead singer. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, does, is it is, how, how how much of a collective is it ultimately? I mean, do you, well, oh, it's a real collective when we go to start putting all, everything together, yeah. and when we uh, go in the studio. I may write the songs, but they're completely in a skeleton phase, and then we start adding to it and there may be some fluctuation with the with the arrangements but um as far as parts go people basically improvise unless i have a specific idea but um 
there's a lot of ebb and flow with mm-hmm. the group, and everyone makes you know makes it happen. Is that I mean, is that nature of design? Is that just the nature of there being so many people that people just come and go a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, they do. They definitely put in their time with us. I mean, we have people that come, kind of go in and stay in for a, a while until they decide to branch out and do their own thing or family takes over yeah. or whatever, relationships. And um, But once you get in, it's not like they're in for a year and then gone. They're pretty much in for a little bit. It's not like the the, the farm leagues or something? No. <laughs> unfortunately, no. But And it's, it's good because you really kind of build a bond. And yeah. We've got a good group of people right now. It's uh, so you know everybody's name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do. I've been put on the spot quite a few yeah. times in a live setting. You know, when you want to like start introducing people in the band. Can can you can like, you do that? Can you go it. can you go through and you can you can hit every single one on stage? Yeah, yeah, I can do it. I did it. Happened a couple times. <laughs> I nailed it. What is the uh, so what what's what's the process for actually actually bringing them in? Ah, uh, they kind of have to have the spirit to do something like this. This is a real, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of tough to be in the polyphonic spree. Mm. It's not, um, it's a lot of work. We all have to do things. We don't really have the finances to, to have tech and crew people helping us out here. It's every man for themselves. We have to pull together as a team to make things work. And, um, it's, we don't get hotel rooms every night or every other night and, we get showers out on the road if the venue has it. There's just a lot of things that um, it's they have to kind of like pitch in and give it. But they have to be able to improvise on their instrument and, and uh, have the spirit for this band. Yeah, I mean that's so. So what 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 is the pitch there then? It's you know you're, we're not going to be getting paid a lot. I don't There's have no to pitch showers. It. <laughs> I don't have to pitch it yeah. anymore. Um, there's fortunately. There's quite a few people that want to be a part of this band, and um, and I've met so many people that want to be a part of it that yeah, it kind of just happens now. They kind of know what they're in for. So sort of organically, somebody leaves, and then somebody just totally fills, yeah fills the spot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when people leave, they have somebody that they really want to bring into the band um, that would be a good replacement for them. And usually, it kind of happens through. You know, it'll, you'll have it'll test the waters because sometimes they, they maybe can't make the show because mm. they have something going on, and they'll have a sub come in, and so you kind of get to feel them out and see if it's going to work, and it usually does. How tough was how tough was the pitch in the early days? It at the beginning it was it was kind of well it was tough because I didn't know very many people in the symphonic world. Mm. That's where it was kind of difficult because. I came from a rock background, and I didn't know anybody. But fortunately, in Dallas, I was playing Dallas and Denton, and I had friends in both. And North Texas is there. It's a huge music school. So I I knew people that knew people, Mm -hmm. and I was able to kind of cultivate what I could on my own. And I had some family members that helped me out in the very beginning because I basically put this thing together in a couple weeks. Hmm. And it wasn't meant to be a band. It was just to, like, try it out. Experiment it. I mean, it definitely seems like one of those things where you know it's like we we all get these crazy ideas in our head. You know, we've all got these totally 
these these far off things, you know, given unlimited resources. Yeah. At some point, I guess you just really just have to sort of bite the bullet and say, "This is what I'm going to devote yeah. my life to." Well, I, you know, I I had no idea this band would be going this long because yeah. the intention was really just to try it out. I was in a place in my life where I could do something like that. I was like, I want to see what this is like. You know, if you pull these two worlds together and um, marry them and see what we can get instead of one person singing. Back at the time, I was like ten people singing, mm-hmm. and then. Um, to be able to have story with all these different instruments and not just try to make these sounds out of keyboards and guitar sounds and effects and things, I wanted to be able to like have it with other instruments and things that I'd heard in the past. And um, so, I think that was that was what was so exciting to me when when your first album came out, when you guys first formed, was um, you know especially somebody who listens to a lot of psychedelic music, who listens to a lot of like jazz music. We're, we're trying to we're constantly trying to find some sort of transcendence in it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's sort of what Pet Sounds is, right? Yeah. It's like, maybe we can make something a little bit more. Maybe we can make something a little more spiritual than a rock band in a studio. Totally. I think it's everything to do with texture and tone and how you work with that. And you can tell, so, you can, sounds are so important. I mean, those Walt Disney storybook records I used to hear as a kid. It's like mm-hmm. they tell the story with the instruments. And P- Peter and the Wolf. Yeah. yeah. And they, you know, it's so, I don't know, it's so visual to me. And um, to be able to make that, you know, part of your sound, incorporating with rock and being able to have these wonderful journey songs and not the band journey, but taking these little journeys. Although and, it's something to yeah, it's something, something to, to think, try. Oh, right? that's an idea, <laughs> <laughs> right? The but of I mean, it just sounded so romantic to me at the time. Yeah. And um, but it just sounded like, oh, this will be great. This is this is. I really want to try this out, and this could be something that I wouldn't be in. But I'd like to conduct something like mm. this. I'd like to put it together and hear it, you know. But ultimately, I became a part of it because at the time I was playing guitar and directing it and playing my songs and then I had this band around me so I ultimately became a part of it there had to be some point where it, when it just seemed like a pipe dream though right it it not really really I mean it did when I was you know in Tripping Daisy when yeah. I would think about it it was yeah. wishful thinking but I always thought this is something I'm going to do later on in my life when I would reflect back in Tripping Daisy I would because that's where it started happening like when we're doing recordings and I'm like God, I'd like to have a harp in this spot right here or a flute in this spot. And that's where the psychedelic part started happening with Tripping Daisy because we'd try to manufacture those sounds because we didn't have them. And so in the back of my mind, it's like, one day I'm going to do something yeah. like that. And then unfortunately, when Tripping the Tripping Daisy went down, I was like, I just took a break. And I thought, I'm going to mess with this again, this whole music thing. I want to try something I always wanted to do so that's where it started that's interesting though the idea that some of that sort of psychedelic vibe you were cultivating came around came about because of this this almost this lack of resources um and and, you know and and in a lot of ways like minimalism um kind of the creativity that comes out of not having those things at your ready Mm -hmm. is what makes a lot of art so interesting yeah Um, but now you've got everything I know I mean I love it Um, but you're right and that's what makes those last 
couple Tripping Daisy records so fantastic because we were really exploring what we could pull out of what we had to work with. And it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, this is now, I, I'm, I'm realizing it more and more. This is 14 years later. I can go anywhere. We can do anything mm-hmm. we want to do musically. And there, it is extremely liberating. I mean, anywhere. We can do electronic music. We can do full-on orchestra. We can do whatever we want to do. And so now it's like the sky is just wide open. It's yeah, like I'm, you kind of discover the sound, yeah. and then you play around in it, and you're real, ah, oh, this is this is inter- fun. Wow. Oh, my gosh. The next one, you're like, wow, look what we have. Let's, you know, showcase this. And it's like, okay, now we have a little bit more feet into it. And now it's, I'm at a point where, jeez, man, the magnitude of where we can go is huge. So, so early on, it was just sort of like, I mean, we, you know, we've got all these people. They've got robes. Of course, we're going to do something like a little choral, you know, a little, a little, um, yeah, I mean, a little, a little, like, you know, almost like chanting in a sense. But, na- but now, but I mean, it's, it's, just, it's interesting to hear you go into electronics because, again, like using electronic instruments, theoretically, you don't need a French horn in the band. Right. But you do. <laughs> because it's amazing how they kind of like go together. I do on the record. I don't have out here, but I got a guy playing flugelhorn that kind of gives me the tone that I want, which is awesome. But um, yeah, it's the mixture of them both that is really appealing to me. Yeah. It's you're. I mean, you've, you've you've certainly bucked the trend then in that respect because everybody. I mean, that's that's the, that's the whole thing now is what you can do in your in your bedroom yeah and I'm not knocking that by any stretch of the imagination I think it's awesome but for me that's just kind of uh, blueprint material like mm. for me I, I use that to sketch and draw out where we're going to go and then I've got the real arsenal with me and see we're not even talking about the personality and the human interaction that happens with it that's a whole another mm. story because that's where the the spirit of this band comes through this music and then the interaction with the people and us on stage is just a whole there's nothing like it well let's 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 talk about that but let's again let's go all the way back to i mean this is interesting you know you're you're going and you're you're talking to classically trained musicians Mm -hmm. i mean orchestral musicians and you're like hey i'm a i'm a dude from a college rock band yeah uh i want to lead you Mm mm-hmm was that a was that an was that a tough sell? Um, well, I didn't. I was I was in a college rock band. Uh, I didn't go to college, but uh, we played some colleges. Um, <laughs> it was difficult because I, I I wasn't studied in theory. Um, my knowledge of musical theory is really really small, and that's why I built the band on people that can improvise because I've written I improvise and I've always written all my songs from day one is improvising and so and I built Tripping Daisy the same way and I thought well I'll do the same thing with these guys if they can improvise I can communicate with them Um, and you can I just sing I sing parts and they'll play it and it's just we're able and they don't even have to get we don't even have to talk theory we can just communicate through music and sound, and it's so much easier um, for me. So that's why every member that's ever been in this band can improvise. But it's interesting, at the beginning of it, trying to put pull people together, 
um, I would meet with people. I'd say, hey, check this guy out. And he'd come over, and I'd say, okay, this was the auditioning process. I'd say, I'm just going to play something, anything I want on the piano, and I just want you to play along with it. Hmm. And I'm not going to tell you anything. I just want you to play. And I had this one guy, for instance, and he was like, well, what do you mean you're just going to play? And I'm going, well, I'm just going to play something on the piano. Piano. I don't know what it's going to be. Uh, I'm just going to make it up. And I just want you to play along with me, accompany me on it. And he was perplexed. He's like, well, what, what key and where are you going to go? I'm like, I just want you to play. I want you to improvise. And he goes, I don't know what you mean by that. I'm like well what do you want me to do and he goes well do you have a chart can you write this out and tell me specifically what you want to do I mean I need specifics I'm like no I can't and he couldn't he did not know how to like interact that way and that's when I knew he was like wow there's a huge difference of people that have studied theory mm. and like really out he's an outrageous musician but the guy couldn't improvise to save his life on the spot it was unreal and I found there's a lot of people out there that that don't do that, and that and that's I mean that's necessary for everybody in the band to be able to do that. Totally, one hundred percent. That's a total prerequisite. So you know, and I, I, I've and, and I, I I do like your records a lot, but I've always sort of thought of you guys as being a live band. I mean, that's that's the experience, right? Just going and having this spectacle in front of you. Has it been has it been a difficult translating that to record not at all uh-uh because everyone is an accomplished musician they're fantastic at what they do and they're they've got theory i'm not saying that they they have theory and they they you know they can only improvise they don't have theory these guys have both mm-hmm. so they they talk to each other in this foreign language and i just kick back but we're able to myself and them are able to communicate so when you get in the studio you're laying it all down and building it it's you know, you're listening to, you know, trained musicians that are really great on their instrument. So it comes across. But but it, sound, it sounds like, the, I mean, the initial idea was to, to do this live thing. Yeah. To, to just do this thing in front of, of people. At, at what point does it become a band that records records? Uh, it Well, it happened two weeks after we hooked <laughs> up. I don't know what to tell you. We, no, no. The reason why we hooked up to record was because... Um, once we decided to m- make this a band, we I was trying to get gigs and promoters couldn't get their head around it. I yeah. had this many people and I couldn't get in there. So I thought, I need to make some sort of demo so I can shop to these promoters. Okay. So when they ask me, I give them this and, and we go from there. And so that's what that whole record was. It was a demo to try to get gigs and... Um, we just went and recorded. We booked time, and I, just like I would make records with Tripping Daisy, I went in and did the same thing with this band, and it's no different. You know, I, I, and I, I feel like your your approach to this is, has changed as you've been able to wrap your head around the bands, you know, yeah. which which was probably pretty difficult to, to, to do early on, but, you know, it, it, putting myself in your shoes and putting together this massive group of musicians you know each each individual people each with with their own respective egos um i would i would imagine that at at least from the outset you're gonna want to 
try to find a way to incorporate everybody into everything at all times? Um, I did that on the past, in the past. Um, I used to be kind of like, oh my God, I got to get every member on here. I want, you know, so they're happy with what they've got going on and they're on record. And it was like, oh, look what I've got, and showcase all these wonderful instruments. But I th- it, and I'm not knocking past records. I'm just saying that there's been some restraint found and some maturity in that part. It doesn't necessarily have to be there. If these people are in it, they're not on this particular song. It's quite all right. And that's what this record reflects. Yes, it's true. It's totally, um, we have everything that we want to do. You just don't necessarily hear it in every song. Do you ever see yourself going, I mean, you know, now that you've had this sort of huge, huge tool at your disposal, um, could you ever see yourself scaling back from here? Is this just... Oh, no, this is it. This is it? This is you from now on? Yeah, I mean, at (laughs) one point we had 28 people in this band, and we were touring all over Europe with 28 people on stage. It was completely chaos, you know? It was awesome. And uh, it was fantastic, but and financially, just there's no way it could hold up. Right now, I've got 16, maybe 17 people on stage sometimes, and that's pretty much it. It can't really go below that. It can't go below that? That's, that's the 16, 17 is the minimum? Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe 14, 15, yeah. but yeah, I've, I've got to keep horns, strings, harp, drums, piano... Uh, a little bit of keyboard, uh, two guitars, bass, drums. Yeah, that's pretty much. So you you, you think and that, a choir that 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 you know without without a full choir without a, one of these specific instruments that the song is just. Well, it's not necessarily the songs. It's the sound of the polyphonic spree. This mm. is a sound. It's our sound. That's what this polyphonic spree is. And I think once you start stripping all that away, then it just comes a regular band. In my opinion, because I'm into the sound. Yeah, but you're—I mean, you're still—you're still actively adapting the sound. It's, it's of course, you know, it's—it's it's, in some ways, it's—it's it's an electronic record. Well, yeah, it has elements of that, yeah. and then sometimes have elements of you know small rock band. But all those ingredients are in the whole record. Is your song? I mean, do you, is your songwriting in general? Did it totally change the minute that you? St- stood in front of twenty one people. Did, say that again. Did your did your songwriting change immediately the moment you, you stood in front of twenty people? No, it didn't. I did start to think of things a lot differently. Like because um, once I got more comfortable being around these instruments and hearing what they can do mm. and and having that opportunity to pull these certain sounds at, at will, and um, then it, it, you start thinking about things differently when you're writing. Um, you start thinking about in your arrangements what's going to fill that part of that particular breakdown and and I never did that before it'd be like I would do it but it wasn't as grand of a scale as it is now and um, yeah you do think about it differently but mostly just differently but as a lyrical content basic songwriting it's the exact same I've always been doing Um, there's a remix record what, uh, <laughs> what how, how did that come about? Well, um, we had uh, fans of the band do videos for songs off Yes, It's True. And um, 
one of them was a DJ, and he said, you know, I've got, uh, I want to do a remix of a song. I was like, cool, go for it, do it. And he sent it, and we really did like it, and then he's got, man, i got some other friends all over the country that are DJs, mm-hmm. which we've been, a lot of DJs have been using our records for years, um, making loops and sounds for, for their things, and in, especially in UK and Europe, in the DJ scene, Polyphonic 3 is in there, even though we're not electronic yeah. EDM band. Um, it's kind of like they've always kind of been there with hmm. us. So it's like, yeah, let's go for it. And we started getting these songs back one by one without giving them any sort of direction, just basically giving them the tracks and saying go reimagine this song and they came back and it was like wow every one of these tracks are really amazing and they have nothing to do with the polyphonic spree yes Mm. it's true i mean they're all inherently completely different even from each other because each dj has its own style but as a collective group it's a really great listen and we decided to go ahead and put the whole thing out. And fortunately, Kirtland was behind the idea. Because most people just do remixes for a couple of songs on their record yeah. to help piggyback the sale of a, of a single or whatever. But to do the whole record was a... But it came off so good. And we didn't have anything to do with it, which I thought was really awesome. It, it, it's funny because, you know, you were, we were talking earlier about how you're a little bit of a control freak or you're yeah. imagining a little bit. And you you're still able to just... Let this out there. And let I had somebody... no problems with it, and you know, I, I, y'all that's age. You know, you just get to the point yeah. where, hey, just let go. You know, and um, maybe a little more tired than you used to be, and yeah, maybe. <laughs> but uh, you know, Julie and I talked about it. It's my wife, and it's like let's just go with it, man. Yeah. See what they do, and we were so pleasantly surprised. And then the fact that Kurtland was behind it, it's just great. And I love the fact that you can put on both records in two different situations or two different types of fans. Fans that wouldn't even like Polyphonic Spree, hmm. they'll dig this record. If they're in, you know, EDM music or just something different, trance, whatever. How, how did it... Why, why was it relegated to this album specifically? Why not open up it just Because it just happened. The opportunity kind of yeah. came, came by and we decided, hey, let's go for it. And... We did it, and it just worked out. It's nothing I even really thought about because we've had remixes on songs before of fans that just wanted to do something, you know. But we, uh, for whatever reason, went for it, and it worked out. It's pretty good. Is is the fact that you know is is the way you you sort of see your music out in the world and and who's listening to it? This sort of the surprising surprising groups of people, and you know, in this respect, like the electronic dance music fans Mm -hmm. has that impacted you as a songwriter at all i don't think so i mean hell no i don't ever really i've never really written for i always write my own way and what's what's i I guess what's influenced my electronic side of this particular record i dabbled in it in the fragile army but it kind of it's it's a little bit more understood and on this record and reflected on like popular by design hold yourself up and you don't know me in particular um i started writing with a drum machine um that i had i have this old lindrum drum machine that i've had for years and one day i couldn't have a drummer around and i was 
messing around. I just plugged this up and I started mm. going. And there you went. And so I'm playing the electronic drum machine and then I'm playing these songs and it started got got in this world and before I knew it I was this song was had that kind of feel. So you you uh, say we have to remind people that we're sitting around from the ladies' room as we yeah. record this. <coughs> so it's not it's not as much a, a you're not setting out as much to do something completely different every time. It's just it's happening organically. In that case, it happened organically. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm aware. I don't want to like put out the same record, yeah. and I haven't. And um, I think that uh, themes are, you know, lyrical themes pretty much dictate where I'm going to go. Also, the approach of how I'm writing the song is going to dictate where I go and um, as far as the songs go. And then, um, you know, just the stretching of your imagination, you see where it's going to land. I have no idea. Like, I'm thinking about the next record right now heavily for the last couple of weeks, and I have this one idea in my head of hmm. what I want to do, but once you get going, it always changes every single time. And... Um, but I think the intention is what takes you to another place. It just didn't think you're going to go. I mean, it, it, you know, of course it's going to change, especially when you're talking about 10, 11, 12 songs, right? Right. I mean, but you're also, I don't want to use, I don't, I don't want to quite use the term concept album, but it sounds like you're doing some sort of abstract version of that. Uh, yeah, kind of, I guess. You know, if you want to look at tone and, you know, what's the, what is the sonic of this record compared to the last one, I guess, yeah. But, the, but I'm, when, I, when I say concept record, I'm saying more specific, a lyrical and an overall, I don't know, like a... A vibe or well, feel or... Well, not... Uh, a, a lyrical, cohesive record that starts from, from one story at the top and yeah. ends with, a, you know, this particular ending... A beginning and an ending of of how it's going to be. Not necessarily song, song about this, song about that. This is like one consecutive thought put to sound, and I think that's kind of where I'm leaning right now for the next one. I haven't really done a con, quote concept yeah. record, but it's just it's kind of where you are at that point in your life. I think I don't know. This is just something I've kind of started thinking about in. Um, I'm uh, really wanting to explore the psychedelic side of this band, mm. and that's something that's been really heavy on my mind. That's interesting because I, you know, it it seems like you've always been kind of exploring the psychedelic side. I've always thought of you guys at it, least like loosely being a psychedelic band. Yeah, to me, it's a bit. It's been a bit tame as mm. far as where I think it could go, and I think um, now I'm feeling a bit more confident about it and yeah. where we can take it, and uh, so that's kind of exciting. Like I said, that's where I'm. I'm thinking about something like that, but I'm, you never know, but I hope, I hope it does that because I'm looking forward to it. Cause, cause when I think about, you know, Texas psychedelic music, I think of one very specific band. 13th floor. Yeah. Yeah. I think of, and, and that, and that is, you know, that's the, that is not a tame band. Right. <laughs> is that, is that the sort of thing that you're trying to get towards I, a little bit? You know, when I say, I think Percy Faith, I think mm. elevator music, psychedelic music, in my opinion, old Montavani, and mm. it, by today's standards, back then it was, you know, it's instrumental music. Yeah. But it, the way that it makes you think and the places mm. you go with instrumental music, with that particular instrumental music, the originals, not the 
copying of pop songs. But to me, I really love that. And to be able to explore that in a way with an intention to go out there and tell a story with these instruments, hybrid with the electric instruments, seems really fascinating to me. And yeah, you can dabble in it on certain songs mm-hmm. with sounds and you know corrupt some of their sounds with aesthetics, but I think to tell a story in a record, a solid theme, we've yet to be able to do that. And not because we haven't tried. Um, we've tried on songs, but we haven't had made a specific attempt to do a concept record in that genre. It's... You know, and and again, I guess we're we're using concept record pretty pretty loosely, but you know, it's it's just saying you know this is going to be a psychedelic record that, that that is that's the that's the theme. I mean, it's it's a sound. Yeah, it's a th- yeah, but also the lyric will have to mm. uh, play play in it in order to you know make it concise and More surrealist yeah. than, than usual. Well, maybe it depends on how far out I go with yeah. it, but you know, hopefully. I give a nice cohesive story to yeah. this listener, um, but we'll see what happens. As the you know, as the the principal songwriter, as as the songwriter, and, and as you said before, everybody's everybody's improvising and and playing around stuff. But um, you know, how much are, are you? Do, do do you look towards them for to, you know for guidance as to whether it's a you know is a good song, whether it's worth pursuing as a band? Um, you know what. I don't. I've, it's never been a. It's never come up unless they're just like being really cool to me. I don't know what. They've it never. Is. You've never gotten like twenty people just saying, "Dude, no, on. not at all." Which makes me wonder. But <laughs> I mean, because I like the songs, they seem genuinely into it. Yeah. Um, of course, they they would they like it or they wouldn't be playing it. But um, they're all fantastic musicians. I think. The caliber of musicianship in this band is is at its height at this point, and um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. They're a wonderful group to collaborate with. They're friends and family. It's a good group. They gotta, I mean, they gotta be friends if you're going to be in a bus with twenty people. Right? Yeah, and that's the great thing about it. It's like we get out here, and it's like our world. And um, you would think that you would get on each other's nerves out here with all these different personalities and it's just quite the opposite um everybody kind of diffuses any inadequacies that we may have as on a social plane so it's just it's really cool how it works and you don't have to be talking to the same three people over and over again no you've got other people and there's little subgroups within the band and uh there's always been those little subgroups just like a regular classroom but um it's fascinating socially how the polyphonic spree works. It's pretty cool, and it's it's. I, I mean, I'm 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 consistently amazed with you guys that it that it is sustainable. That it's been sustainable for for as long as it has. I mean, I I certainly thought after the first record came out, they can't they can't possibly do that. Again. <laughs> you and, and you everybody know, else. Yeah, that was. Uh, you, you must have thought that at some point. I never thought that. No. That I mean, it's what everybody was thinking made me like go of course I can do this I mean basically people were telling me that you know you, this is a great idea but there's no way you're going to be able to do this no. it's like are you kidding me you're not going to be able to tell me what I'm going to do or what I'm capable of and that's my whole MO man is like I can do anything basically that I like conjure up in my little brain that's you know somewhat that I feel is you know feasible 
there's just no stopping. So I just don't, I've never looked at it like, I'm not going to be able to do this. Now, I will tell you this, financially it's exhausting yeah. and it's put a huge toll on our life. Um, I say our, my wife and I, is to, to do this. It's tough, man. Financially, it's really hard. It doesn't make sense. I mean, we get paid like a four-piece band, mm. but we have four bands in our band, and it's just, it's tough. And that's the hardest part about doing this because you're compromising a bit of your sanity because it's expensive. I have a family. I have four kids. I have a <laughs> wife. I have a house. I, you know, I have to make a living, and this is what I do, and it's what I've chosen to make a living with. One of the most difficult bands in the world to have is the Polyphonic Spree. And, but I still do it, you know, it's tough, but I wouldn't be doing anything else at this point. And she, I mean, you know, you, you talk about your wife like she's also a business partner. I mean, she, she gets it. Oh, she's my partner, riding partner. She's everything to me. She does, she's the mother of my kids and she's my, she's my friend. She's my, she is the Pyphonic Spree with me. She's equal with me. You guys ever have to, you know, I, I think I think I heard somewhere that you had to take out a, a second mortgage at some point. Oh, yeah. You guys have to sort of talk each other into it from time to time? We uh, we both talk each other out of a tree. I mean, it's a lot, man, at the end of the day. I mean, what we're trying to do, what we've been doing to make the records we make, to travel with this big, huge ensemble of yeah. individuals and to, to make it work. Like I said, it just does not make sense. So when you're at bed at night, you know, talking about it, and the finances are crushing you, and you have this albatross of a, of a group that you're, like, trying to make a living from, it's basically sucking the, the finances out yeah. as you're doing it. You're, you know, you're constantly wondering what the hell you're doing, you know? And you're wondering, I mean, are you wondering, like, when happen? does it become profitable? Yeah, like, when yeah. is it going to happen? It's just, I know we're close. I mean, it's we've got to be. That's what you just keep doing. Yeah. Are, do, do you think you know? Because like, that, that's that, that's uh, one of the really interesting things too. Is you know, early on, if nothing else, you guys had novelty on your side, right? You had people like what, like oh, I, you know, I heard about this crazy group of people in robes. Yeah, it was but, novel. But, it was novelty because nobody was doing yeah. it. But we did this in two thousand when, of course, there was nobody doing this. And so it did seem novelty, but now it seems completely normal to see bands out there with strings and horns. And you had bands that were four-piece bands simply grew up to ten people. Um, I could go on and name band after band after band. It's basically taking a page out of the Polyphonic Spree's uh, book and run off and done it. So now it doesn't seem novelty anymore, and especially that we've been going for 14 years. But at the time... I could see why people thought that because they didn't know how to take something like this. But this is the norm now. Well, that's I'm, I'm you know, and I ask you that again, not to call anybody out, but because um, does it is it? I mean, is it is it easier or is it harder to sell yourself as a band when when once that novelty is gone? Because again, there's a certain number of curiosity seekers out there who yeah. will go see a band at least early on the first time they hear about this 20 person band yeah now that you've sort of settled into normalcy has that made it more difficult i guess it's well it's made it difficult because obviously we haven't crossed over into mainstream yeah. where we're like you know selling a, a, a shit ton of records and playing you know 2500 3000 seaters and 
you know we're not doing these huge places so that's when it's still tough but it, it it's not about the novelty wearing off in my opinion we were never novelty we were basically we were just creating we were pioneers doing something that we didn't realize we were basically blazing a trail for everybody else to jump on and then they did it with smaller amounts where we had 28 people out there doing it they could hop on and do it with 9, 10, 11 people and then just took it and ran with it so I look at it as like we were never novelty we yeah. were just we were the beginners well that's got to get you know at the, at the very least it's got to give you a little bit of faith that you're doing something right I know I'm doing it right. I just need other people to realize that I'm doing it right <laughs> and get on board, man. I think what we're doing, we're making a contribution. We've always made a contribution. And um, in, in, in my heart, I know that for a fact, and I know that will be warranted one day, and that's what I have to yeah. I have to live by that. By that. And, and it always feels like the next record is going to be the one that does that? Hopefully, it continues to feel that way. Yeah, like this has got to be it. Yeah, and I, but I love that. I love the fact going into it feeling that way. This is, I feel like this is it, and it gives me the strength to like keep going. I just, I, you know, I love, I love uh, this sort of polarizing. You know, I want to do something kind of, kind of out there and, and exciting, but also I want as much of as much appeal as possible. I mean, of course, it's going to be hard. Connecting those two, yeah, just well, I'm I'm at the mercy of the human ear and people getting involved and change and you know just whatever. It's like radio. I've never been embraced by radio um, in this band, except for this record. We've been having some some success with it, but uh, it, it's been tough all the way around. All right, but things are looking up. Always. There you go. That was Tim DeLotter of Trip and Dazing, the Polyphonic Spree. Uh, super interesting interview with a super interesting guy in a, a fairly interesting setting. Uh, we actually did that one before their show at, uh, at Brooklyn Bowl. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the place, it's a, a venue slash bowling alley in Williamsburg. So um, before the bands play during the day, it's just a, a regular bowling alley. So that's going on. And we were trying to find a, a reasonably quiet place to hold the interview. So the owners of the venue directed us uh, upstairs to this little, little nook, which turned out to be the, the foyer of the, uh, of the entrance to the ladies' room. Um, so the doors technically weren't open for, for the show, but there's still some, some ladies coming in and out. So if there were, um, I guess, strange, awkward pauses during that conversation, it was because we were getting the, the stink eye from, from uh, women who had, had to use the restroom and, and you know, and um, quite frankly, didn't didn't expect, and, and, and I would say reasonably so, to, to guys to be sitting there uh, talking to each other into microphones. But... Uh, I, I really, uh, really, really enjoyed that interview with Tim. I, th- I thought it was, um, it was just interesting, kind of, you know, kind of drilling down on some of the logistics of of putting together a band like that. I mean, not only just putting it together, but you know, keeping it going. This is one of the things I find really fascinating about the band. I was, you know, I was a big uh, Trip and Daisy fan um, in the in, in, in the '90s, and uh, you know, then all of a sudden, the lead singer of that band comes out. He's got this group of of like two dozen people they're in matching robes um they're just kind of like the hot new thing you know like your 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 david bowie's 
your um, your, your David Burns. All of these people are getting really excited about him. And, you know, it seems sort of gimmicky at the time, but it's been uh, it's been like 15 years since they 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 uh, they first formed and they're still out there. Um, and I would say, you know, quite frankly, I think their, their last record, which came out in 2013, uh, yes, it's true, is actually probably uh, the best thing that they've ever done. So I do 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 highly recommend that if you uh, if you haven't heard it and are interested in the band. And I and I assume that if you've gotten to this point in the podcast, uh, that you are pretty interested in the band. So that one is definitely worth checking out. Um, I think it's you know I think it's it's fascinating just from the standpoint of how they're structured as a band. You know, he's as he mentioned during the interview, he's not uh, a classically trained musician he's not um somebody who really has a lot of experience putting together uh, an orchestral group and i you know i think it really sort of shows that it's this giant band built around a, a pretty a pretty basic rock and roll structure so thanks uh thanks so much to tim for for taking the time to do that uh, thanks to brooklyn bowl for um setting us up right outside the ladies room as a part of the uh the venue that i've never seen and will probably never see again oh i should mention it was just a you know you know the other reasons uh it was a fascinating show i mean it's always interesting to to see them and i've seen them a, a few times um over the years uh it, you know they put on a really good show he he for for that tour at least um they they start off behind a, a really large piece of white butcher paper and he um, and kind of cuts his way through that, and but right before the show happened, uh, two members of the audience got married. Just that was just part like in the, it was you know I, I guess it was um, the band knew it was going to happen. Uh, you know Tim Tim didn't really uh, offici- officiate or anything, but uh, all all in a, all in a day's work I guess for the for the polyphonic spree. So thanks so much Tim for taking the time to do that. Uh, thanks to Brian, as always, for editing this thing together. Thanks to Mark and everybody else at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like the show, there's a lot of other fantastic Boing Boing podcasts to check out. You can check those out over on iTunes. And while you're over at iTunes, you should, t- you should uh, take the opportunity to rate this show. Um, I am – listen, man. This ruined my weekend. Somebody gave the show one star. I don't – like, how, what? Why? I, 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 don't, I don't get the impulse. I don't think I've ever given anything – anything one star uh, I get it if you don't like the show but there's you know there's 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 three or four other options you know there's three options between one and five uh, but you again if you've gotten this far in the show I think you enjoy this experience so, so give us uh, give us five stars write a, write, a, write a review over there help help bring the average up though I think once you've gotten a one star review you're pretty much screwed and never getting back up to five but um Laws of averages, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you can also follow us over on Tumblr. It's irylcast.tumblr.com. Uh, if you have any feedback, any, any one star feedback, I would say rather than actually putting one star on our iTunes page, uh, you could just send your scathing reviews directly to me. It's irylcast at uh, at gmail.com. Uh, we have so many good interviews coming up. So many, so many people that I've spoken to. Uh, that I'm really excited. Uh, can't wait. Can't wait for next week when we will return with another episode of RIYL.